Thank you, Lord. <coughs> Father God, we thank you right now, Lord. We, we bless you for your presence, God. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in the sanctuary, God. Lord, like, like the song was saying, we long to worship you, God. We long to worship you, Lord Jesus. You are all in all. <clears throat> in you we live, move, and have our being. You are the great I am. You're Jehovah Shalom. You're Jehovah Nisi. <clears throat> and Father, we just bless you right now, God. We, we, we offer unto you, Lord, the sacrifice of praise from the fruit of our lips. Lord, we worship you with all of our being. Like David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forgive not all of his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And Father, right now, we just bless you with everything within us, Lord. All of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are still living and you are still active, God. That you haven't died. You, you aren't like Muhammad or Buddha that, that uh, perished in the grave, but you rose again. And you ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. You ever lived to make intercession for us. Lord, we thank you that right now you're seated in heavenly places. You're seated upon your throne. Lord, you put the blood of the atonement upon the altar. And you have uh, procured for us salvation. Hallelujah. And Father, I just pray right now, we just place a demand on heaven. We place a demand on heaven that even now that your spirit will invade this gathering, that your spirit, Lord, will pierce through all darkness. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that, that all strongholds, all darkness would be dispelled, would be expelled, would be destroyed by the hammer of your word, by the sword of your word, O oh Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you wet your glistering sword and that you cut off all evil and that you cut off all wickedness, O oh Lord, from the lives of your people. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would triumph over our enemies, that we would rise up by the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. May your anointing reside in this place. Father, may your anointing reside in this place, O oh God. And Father, I rebuke every wicked spirit Every wicked spirit that would seek to try to hamper and to impede and to hinder the preaching of your word. Father, I just rebuke every wicked spirit in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. May your presence be felt. May your presence be known. Oh God, I, I ask in your holy and precious name that you would back the proclamation of your word, that your presence would back, oh Lord, the preaching of your word, oh God. Convict hearts, Lord. Destroy the enemy's schemes today. Destroy everything he has enacted. Destroy everything he has sought to construct. Destroy, oh God, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Destroy the destroyer. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lord. Praise be unto His name. Your name is majestic and holy in all of the earth. You're high above the heavens. Your name is great and greatly to be praised. There is no other name under the heavens given among men whereby we might be saved. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for the blood. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Glory to the Lord. May every, may every wicked scheme, Lord, backfire on the enemy and on his agents. In Jesus' name. And Father, I pray, give me uh, your unction. Give me, O oh Lord, <coughs> prophetic insight, Lord, as we delve into your sacred word. May I be, as Richard Baxter said, a, a dying man to dying man. May, uh, I'll preach as a dying man to dying man as if I can never preach again. May I be that, O Lord. May your word, O Lord, cut to the heart. May your word cut to the heart. <clears throat> May it circumcise our hearts, cleanse our hearts by your precious blood. <coughs> yes, Lord. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for the blood. We receive your blood, O Lord, to cleanse our organs, to cleanse our heart. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> well, welcome um, our visitors. Uh, for those of you that's uh, your first time joining, God bless you guys. Great to have you. Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> um, for those of you that are iPhones, do you mind... Uh, uh, Sharing who that is in the chat, your name, just so I know who's here. <clears throat> I already, uh, okay. And then I'm assuming the other is, uh, Brother Andrew. Okay, great. And, um, <clears throat> the, the reason why I ask is, you know, like I told you before, as, as the, Shepherd over this uh, group, <clears throat> uh, it's my obligation to protect this group, and um, and so um, I, I when I don't know, I don't know who's here. I, I ask for identification, <clears throat> and and by the way, if you ever seek to invite anybody, it's important to let me know in advance, um, just so you know I, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to waste any time asking people. So if you invite anybody, just let me know. Uh, there's no problem if they want to join. <coughs> yeah. No. I. I, <coughs> I, I figured that. Uh, welcome to uh, Tiffany. God bless you. Um, but it, it's my obligation to protect uh, as, as a shepherd over this group. And uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and I, I know that the enemy he works is, uh, um, in deceptive ways. And, um, he, he doesn't see the enemy wants to bring havoc into God's house. See the world he already has. <clears throat> he doesn't have to deceive people that are going to the bars and the strip clubs, right? They're already, they're already damned. 
But it's the people of God that he's actively seeking to deceive and to destroy. Amen. And so, um, <clears throat> I, I, um, so I, it's not, it's not uncommon, you know, that a witch or a warlock would seek to try to infiltrate. <clears throat> but let me just say this. <clears throat> it's for, it's dangerous for people like that. Because if anybody tries to do witchcraft, I'll cause that to backfire on you. Amen. One, one prayer to the Lord and that witchcraft will back, backfire on your head. And you might not live. Doesn't it say in the in the Old Testament, I suffer not a witch to live? Amen. So, um, I, I don't play games. So, if, you know, witches and warlocks want to do that nonsense. You, you'll, the Bible says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. <clears throat> but of demonstration of the spirit and power. And see, people think, you know, oh, you know, we're in New Testament times. That stuff is done away with. No, it hasn't. Why did Paul... See, <clears throat> people always want to go to the comfortable scriptures and say, oh, well, God blessed so-and-so, you know, but how come we don't give attention to the fact that Paul cursed a man? He didn't bless, he didn't bless the sorcerer. He didn't say, I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus. He issued a curse on him, and the man went blind. Amen. <clears throat> right? So, now... When we, when we say we're biblical Christians, right? First of all, let me just say this. Jesus didn't assign to us the term Christian. That was actually a derogatory term that was issued to us, and we were first called Christians at Antioch. But it, it wasn't a, a good term, by the way. Jesus didn't say, I hereby call you Christians, right? But I'm not saying that we should remove that term, but I'm saying that if we want to be biblical followers of God, then we have to allow the totality of Scripture to speak and not just the passages that we're comfortable with. Amen. All right, does that make sense, everybody? Um, Amen. <clears throat> you know, and, and, and let me say this by way of reminder, it's important to say amen um, and not just say it, it's important to have an amen in your spirit. Um, as the one in the Old Testament, the um, it says, "Let the uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so." Right. So, so God wants feedback to Him. God wants you to give you your feedback at the declaration of His word. When Ezra was reading the law. The people of God responded, and they shouted, Amen. <clears throat> and so I'll keep reminding us of this, because the last thing I want is for us to be like Catholics. For us to be, uh, uh, see, the Bible says that the dead, the dead praise not God. You know, Amen is a praise. Amen. <clears throat> amen. So um, it's important for us to understand that. See, see, the thing is, the devil wants to rob you of an amen. You know that? See, the enemy is trying to puncture your faith. He's trying to um, puncture holes within your belief so that your lips cannot utter an amen unto God. 
The Bible says all the promises of God are what? Yes and amen in Christ. If they're all yes and amen, that means that when the promises of God are heard at the preaching or at the reading of his word, then that should elicit an amen in our hearts. What are we saying? We're giving glory to God by saying that his word is sure and we're, we're, we're mimicking the faith of Abraham who had faith in the promises of God and was fully persuaded that God was able to do what he said he would do. Amen. Right? So we don't have a dead faith. We don't have a dead God. We don't have a dead book. It's a Amen. prophetic book. It's a living book. And we're serving a living God. See, so, so, excuse me. <clears throat> so with that said, I, I want to ask that we get our, our Bibles. Um, <clears throat> get your, get your Bibles out. One of the things I, I hope to do is to root us in doctrine. And um, I, I think it's a shame today. It's an utter shame. And um, it, it's an utter shame that we've reduced the preaching of the word of the Lord to mere religious TED Talks. See, what men do, they, they get their degrees in communication or homiletics or they go to these universities and they learn how to formulate a, a message and they have their introduction, they have their main point and their sub points and they wrap it all up with a nice, beautiful conclusion with a bow on it. And let me say this, the Holy Spirit, uh, he's not, did the prophets do that in the Old Testament? Do you see the apostles doing that? I'm not saying that it's evil, but see, when we say we want to be biblical, give me one biblical example of anybody ever constructing a, a sermon. You don't see it. Amen. It says, holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. See, they didn't even know what they were going to say in the moment. Did you know that? This is why, in fact, Jesus says, when you go to testify of me to kings, he says, don't, don't meditate what you will say aforetime, but in the selfsame hour it shall be given you the words to speak. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries can gain, say, nor contradict. And see, what, what, what I'm seeing is that we, we want more to say what we want to say rather than to allow God to say what he wants to say. So, <clears throat> why is that important? Because God needs to speak to his church. And what we've reduced the preaching of the word is to mere motivation. We got T.D. Jake's messages with all the huffing and puffing. And they get you all riled up, get your emotions all high. And you get a little hit of that emotional crack pipe. But at the end of the day, you don't know more about God than before you had first come in. Yeah. Right? And so we, we have to get our understanding and our doctrine from the Holy Scriptures. 
because it, it's doctrine that builds up the body of Christ. It's what deciphers. It's that sword that cuts between truth and error. That, hence why Paul commands Timothy, and, and, and he says, rightly divide the word of truth. And the term there that he's using is actually derivative from the Greek, and it's the same term where Paul was dividing the, the material in order to make tents. And so there is a precision when it comes to the Holy Scriptures, and we have to be precise. Because when we're vague, a lot of deception can hide behind vagueness. <clears throat> so people say, I believe in God. Oh, who's God? Can you define, can you be precise to me? Who is God? Because the New Age have a God. The Muslim have a God. So start defining for me precisely what we mean and we'll begin to see that you and I divide. But see, you know, we, we've learned this LGBT principle and it, it's tolerance and peace and unity at all costs. Jesus says, think not that I come to bring peace on the earth. He says, but I came to bring a sword, father against mother, wife against husband. And this is why he says, if you're not willing to forsake all that, he says, you cannot be my disciple. Amen. You'll be like the young rich ruler who have increased in relational goods. And for reason of God's demand on you, you become sorrowful and say, I can no longer follow. So, um, is that is that true? I didn't. I didn't write this book. All. All I am. I'm just a mailman delivering this message, right? <clears throat> you know, it's funny. Is there's this uh, this younger believer that I messaged on Instagram because he was posting. He, he posted something about how he was going to start vlogging. No, he asked. He asked people on uh, Instagram, "Should I start vlogging?" <laughs> Yes or no? I said, don't ask men, ask God. Amen. So why, why, Amen. why, uh, so that means you didn't hear from God. Because if you heard from God, why are you bothering your, why are you bothering yourself and bothering people by asking them? If God told you to go to Nineveh, why do you suggest I'm going out? Let me see what Instagram thinks. Should I go to Nineveh? Yeah, nah. Should I go? No, God told you to go. Amen. And, and well, anyways, he, he uh, is a believer, and he unfollowed me because of that. I'm like, you're lame. Who does that? Because I because I shared biblical truth. Ask God. So what do you want me to say? Don't ask God. Ask people. What if I gave you that advice? I bet you'd still be following me today. This this Christian church is is a joke. And, and be that as it may, it is. Because today, you know, today we're living in a day where we can't endure sound doctrine. So when someone corrects you and says, stop asking people, ask the Holy Ghost, you get mad. Like Paul, have I now become your enemy because I told you the truth? 
see people don't care about uh, see <clears throat> what I learned is that people love truth people don't love truth they love their truth they love the Jesus in their own image so <clears throat> let's go to Romans chapter 6 <clears throat> Here's one other thing I wanted to say about messages. If if a pastor's message every Sunday is always 45 minutes, be wary of that guy. You know why? Because he's just trying to get people out. So the, for the next for the next service, if it's 40, so the Holy Ghost has a rule that only 45 minutes, right? So so. So I guess Paul, I guess Paul defied that rule, right? When people fell out the window, uh, the 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 windows, right? In the book of Acts, what happened to him? He was preaching so long, people grew tired and they fell out of the, and he had to go raise them from the dead. <laughs> he wasn't too eager to try to pack in for the next service. <laughs> All right, let's get out. We gotta, you know, we gotta be prompt and, right. <clears throat> I'm just saying, you know, and, and we're so interested in food pantries, right? See, Jesus wasn't a walking food pantry. He didn't feed the people until three days after their following of him. Today, we want to feed people with food and then bait people to hear the word of God, right? When people are not eager to hear it, when they are following him because of the miracles he performed and the word that he was preaching, they followed him for three days. And then after that, he fed them. You see how we have it twisted today? We're saying, hey, you know, come, we got, we got, we got, uh, we got coffee in our coffee shop, you know, and we're baiting people because we don't have any spiritual supply. And so we have to substitute for that. I'm not, and don't hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's evil. I'm not saying it's evil to have coffee. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, woe be unto us if the appeal that we only appeal that we have to the world is coffee, donuts, and bread, and we're a food pantry. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so Romans six. <clears throat> so I, I wanted to refute this doctrine. Because I've heard so many pastors say, "Oh, I'm just a wretched man. I'm, 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 uh, you know, indwelling sin. You know, we have indwelling sin, and we're just we're wretched people, and it's almost an expectation that that preachers have for believers that they will sin. Now, I, I want to be careful to say that I'm not saying that." Excuse me. When you give your life to Christ, immediately you're going to be sinlessly perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is we hear so much talk of we're still in the flesh. We're still in the flesh. We still have indwelling sin. We still have this corrupt nature. When in fact, the Bible doesn't give us that language to use. And people will go to Romans, and we're going to, I'm going to expound on Romans to demonstrate that what people think Paul is saying, Paul really ain't saying. Okay, so <clears throat> we we are not bound by the flesh. In fact, let, let us quickly turn to Romans chapter 3. 
Romans chapter 3 first. Because people say, oh, we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. But they can't tell you what the glory there even means. And they can't even tell you who the, he's speaking to. And I'm going to show you. So let's begin in Romans chapter uh, <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, verse 9. And I trust that this sort of stuff doesn't bore you. Because if it bores you, you need to get revived. If the word of God ever becomes boring to you, then you're lukewarm. David didn't say that the word of the Lord was boring to him. He says that it, it was a delight unto him. He says, I, I have more joy. Job says, I desire the word of the Lord more than my necessary meat. But you know what people are saying today? I desire Starbucks, my necessary Starbucks more than the word of the Lord. I'm just saying. <clears throat> right? Or I, I desire to go meet with that brother because he's handsome. More, more, Or I desire to go meet with that good-looking sister more than the word of the Lord, so I'll, I'll skip out. I don't want to pray. But you don't know, like, anyway, I'll, I'll leave it there. So Romans chapter 3, verse 9 says, What shall we conclude then? Do we, all, do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are, all in their, are under the power of sin. Now, <clears throat> verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. See, people love that verse. No one's righteous. Not even one. And so normally they, they use verses like this when you tell them that they're wrong. And say, well, we're all sinners. No one's right. You're not even righteous. People love that, those verses, but they don't keep reading on. There is no one who understands. So, no one? So why are we teaching the Bible if no one understands? So there's, there's what Paul said to the Corinthian church, is there not one wise among you? There is no one who seeks God. No one. So what are we doing right now? What do I do when I pray? I'm not seeking God. I'm just so deceived. I'm not seeking Him. You're not seeking Him. Right? Let's keep reading. <clears throat> All have turned away. I'm sorry, but I haven't turned away. There was one time when I did, when I was lost. Does that make sense? I wasn't seeking God then. Now, I'm going to show you there's a difference here. <clears throat> they have together become worthless. The Christian church isn't worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery marks their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, here's this is where context is so important and logical flow of thought. Because what does Paul say? Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, if you don't know, every single statement that Paul is making here, he's drawing from different passages of the Old Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures. Okay? He's drawing from Psalms. He's drawing from Isaiah. He's drawing from different places. And so when Paul comes up to his conclusion here, he says, now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law. So who is, who is it speaking to? 
I'll, I'll, I'll wait for a reply. You can say it in the chat or you can say on the mic. Who is he? Okay, amen. To the, those under the law. Now, my question to you is this. Are we under law or are we under grace? We're under grace. Okay, good. <clears throat> so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And so, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, see what the law was intended to do. Is, and we'll see later in, in, in the later chapters of Romans is that the that sin would become increasingly wicked. Right. Paul says. I would not known what coveting was unless the law had not said, do not covet. Right? So the law was introduced to show us our sinfulness as fallen human beings. Right? <clears throat> so that those who are under that law, they hopefully will see I'm a wicked person. I'm an evil person. I'm a lost man. I am, to use Paul's language, a wretched man who will deliver me from this. This is what Paul says. Okay? So, all that's written there. There's no one righteous. You know who's no... And then Paul tells us no one will be declared righteous in the sight of God under the law. So insofar that you are under the law, you cannot be declared righteous. You are not righteous. And hence it is true that no one is righteous. But the no one there in Romans 3 is qualified by this. No one under the law. Amen. Okay? So, and then of course, once we come to... Um, Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> first of all, he's saying that all have sinned. He didn't say all keep sinning. In fact, John tells us in his first letter to the church, in 1 John chapter 2, he says, uh, uh, Children, my dear children, I write unto you that you may not sin. But even if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins. And so John's expectation for the church isn't, Oh, we're not perfect. We're all going to sin. We're just wretched worms. We just have this indwelling sin. And if John didn't quote Paul, the good I want to do, I do not do. And if it's I who do it, if it's not I who do it, then it's not me who's doing it, but sin dwelling in me. John didn't say that. In fact, John's expectation for the church, for those who have become saved, is that they would live a holy life. Now, he, now he, he also says as a comfort, hey, if you have sinned, if, he didn't say when you sin. He says, if you have sinned, we have an advocate with the Father. So don't despair that there is someone advocating for you and there is still forgiveness available for you. But nevertheless, it's not when you sin, but if you sin. Does that make sense? 
You know, the, the reason why, you know, the reason why Calvinists and, and Reformed folk don't like this is because when we start using this language, it makes us feel bad because, see, if we can use the Bible to justify the notion that uh, a defeat and, and perpetual sinning is characteristic of a Christian, we will make our consciences feel good. Oh, well, it's expected, right? It's expected that I, I, I'm going to sin. Right? And so if we convince ourselves from the Bible that that's true, we're going to feel better about ourselves. But if, however, the Bible is promising us victory over sin, then we don't feel so good if we do. And guess what? We shouldn't feel good when we sin. We shouldn't want to make ourselves feel as comfortable as possible when we sin. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right? Because Paul says that there's a sorrow, a sorrow that's a godly sorrow that works repentance. Amen. So, <coughs> 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 now, Paul also uses this term, or justifies freely by his grace. So that means justification comes by grace, not through law. We couldn't be justified by law, but we could be justified by grace. So what, what does justification imply? Justification means that you are declared innocent. You're declared not guilty. Okay? Now it says justify, but the law, its intent and purpose was not to justify you. It was to condemn you. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, watch, hold on real quickly. We turn this, we're going to go back to Romans, but he says in 2 Corinthians, uh, <clears throat> ver, uh, hold on one second. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 7. <clears throat> he says, now if the ministry that brought death, what was that ministry? The law, or the King James puts it, if, this, if the administration that brought death, so the law was administered from Sinai by the hand of Moses, well, through Moses from God. Right? So now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory... So remember, <clears throat> Romans 3.23 says, All have fallen short of the glory. So there's glory associated with covenants. So when it says we've fallen short of the glory of God, the reason we fell short of the glory is because the law, as we will see in Corinthians, see, Moses didn't allow the Israelites to see the glory of God. That's why he veiled his face. That's why they fell short of the glory. They couldn't see the glory. Does it make sense? So, <clears throat> so that the Israelites could not steadfastly look at the face of Moses because of its glory. Transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So the ministry of the Spirit is what brings glory so that not only do we fail to live in sin, we fail to live in it. We also obtain the glory of God. And we don't fall short of that glory. 
because the veil is removed from the face of God and we, we see the face of God, we see God in the face of Jesus Christ. It says, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if that was transitory, if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory that which lasts? And it says, verse 12, Therefore, since we have such a hope, now this is why Paul says in Romans chapter 5, he says, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame, but we boast in hope of the glory of God. So he's telling us here, right? Um, <clears throat> excuse me, where was that? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. What is the hope? The hope is the glory of God. And where is the glory of God found? In the new covenant, through the Spirit. And this is why it says, For the sufferings of our present time are not worth, uh, uh, for our light and momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory. What was that referring to? It was referring to the consummation of that glorious covenant when the old covenant in 70 AD would be completely destroyed. But nevertheless, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So the old law was passing away. This is why it says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, that which is obsolete is old and ready to vanish away. When was it vanished away? When God killed that old priesthood in 70 AD. When God destroyed their temple in 70 AD. When God killed one million Jews in 70 AD. That which was obsolete, because it was made obsolete after the death of Christ, but it did not yet vanish away. Y'all learning something? Is it making sense? So, because Paul didn't say it vanished away in his day. What did he say right here? He says... Uh, uh, um, we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Well, in context, he's referring to the old law. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It is not removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Okay, now, we'll read uh, verse 18 and we'll go back to Romans. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing in glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, we see in the new covenant we're not falling short of the glory of God. In fact, we're increasing in the glory of God. Do you see that? Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that this, this hope doesn't put us to shame because we boast in the glory of God. Now let me tell you this. Let me ask you this. How are you going to boast in the glory of God if your conscience is weakened and, and uh, guilt-stricken by sin? Amen. 
<clears throat> right? And and it's through the law that we become conscious of sin. See, this is what so you know the believers that want to attack this because they they feel inferior because they're not living a victorious life. They're so sin conscious. So when we tell when I when like for example I say hey you can live victorious uh, through the spirit, live above sin. The first question they ask is, well, do you sin? But you know why? Because they're sin conscious. They're so conscious of sin. Why aren't you conscious of righteousness? Amen. We're finding every legal loophole and every excuse to stay in bondage. When Jesus has come to set free. But they can't answer the question of set us free from what? Do you, do you, does that make sense? So how are we really free and in free indeed? Isn't, isn't that what Jesus says? The truth, uh, 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 he who the Son sets free, sets free indeed? Or does it say he who the Son sets free kind of sets free? A little bit sets free. Why does it say that? I, I don't read that in my Bible. So that means freedom from, and see, then you have the religious who only say it's freedom from the law, but they, they don't take into account freedom from generational curses, freedom from demons. Because a Christian can have demons. This is Why did Paul say give no foothold to the enemy? A foothold becomes a stronghold. And what does a stronghold mean? That the devil has set up base and residence in your body. And, and by the way, I would it would interest you to know that demon possession, that's actually not a correct term to use because possess doesn't literally mean that the devil is possessing you as if he is, that you're his possession. No, because when we have transferred our faith in Christ, we have now become sons of God. We've become uh, uh, God's possession. Right? But see, the devil don't care if you have legal rights to a home. He'll squat in it. The, the correct term in the Greek isn't demon possession. I don't know why translators translate it that way. It means demonized. That is to say, influenced by a demon. Does that make sense? So let, let me say this. Uh, uh, there's a difference because if a devil puts the devil puts an intrusive thought in your mind, like intrusive thoughts come. Don't get me wrong. He did it to Jesus. How else did he tempt him? In the wilderness. He says, if you're the son of God, turn these uh, stones into bread. By the way, who, who was it in the wilderness that uh, complained for bread? The Jews. The Israelites. And so the devil was trying to tempt Jesus to do what the Israelites did. And it was complained to God for bread. But Jesus didn't place a demand on God. Right? He didn't turn the stones into bread. He says, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Does that make sense? So there's a difference between being tempted by the devil and having intrusive thought. But then there are other people who live perpetually with intrusive thoughts that never stop. 
from the time they wake up to the time they go to sleep. You know what that is? That's demonization. But you know what the, 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 the modern evangelical church has said in the West? Oh, no, that's just uh, you have indwelling sin. You need to die to the flesh. And so what that does is secures people in their bondage. And we tried to explain away why things like that happen. I'm not saying that every Christian is demonized. I'm not saying that. But the point that I am making is woe unto us if we rule that off as a possibility when it in fact happens. Amen. This is what I've told you before. Flesh don't think. If your spirit is removed from your body, who's doing the thinking? There is no thinking. So if there are thoughts that you are living with from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, there is a spirit that are putting that in your head. Right? Or you feel this perpetual uncleanliness. Even though you've asked God for forgiveness, if you feel stained and unclean, there is an unclean spirit. Now, I'm not saying if you just sinned once and you feel bad, you feel convicted, you, you know, you, you, you wipe it, you know, wipe the dust off you, keep on moving forward, and you're good. I'm saying no, the people who keep begging for forgiveness and they still feel unclean, see what that, that is suggestive of the presence of an unclean spirit. Even if you're living in victory and you always feel unclean, that's, but anyways, um, so does that, does that make sense? It's not the flesh. See, what does the Bible, why, why did Paul say, um, in fact, let, let us go there real quickly. Second Corinthians, uh, it might be 1 Corinthians. It says, uh, therefore having these precious promises, it might be 2 Corinthians. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. So if your spirit's contaminated, what does that mean? It's unclean. Who's he writing to? Who's, he's writing to Christians, right? Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, he didn't say dear enemies. He says, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. So you know what that means? That your flesh can be clean. Right? If he is saying that you can cleanse yourself from everything that contaminates both body and spirit, that means your flesh and spirit can be clean. This is why David says, Create in me a, a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. Does that make sense? See, you can modify your behavior and comply with Scripture and you still not have a right spirit. You can still have a contaminated spirit. 
This is why I say, you know, some years back, I, I, I was, uh, well, many years back, uh, like over a decade, I remember when I was just a new believer, and like, I was praying with his brother, and he, he put hands on me, and I was just praying with him, you know, I didn't think anything of it, but I felt a strong spirit of lust, not for me. But it, on him. And I, I felt like this dirtiness from him. You know what? He wasn't cleansed. From that contamination. That contaminated his spirit. Does that make sense? And what does it say? Contaminate body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. You know what that Bible... So, you know what that means? You can perfect holiness. I'm just reading... I'm just reading the scriptures. But see, people, what they want to do is they want to twist and say, oh, no one's righteous. But they, they don't want to acknowledge the fact that that was referring to those who were under the law. Are you guys depressed? I sense that uh, some of you guys are having a hard time with this. Or either that or you're just uh, goofing off on social media because you, you're it's too much for your conscience. You know, that's a dangerous thing. And, I, and the reason why I remind us of this is because um, when, how can we stand in the presence of God and become familiar with Him? How can we stand in the presence of God and say, oh, it's just God? Amen. Does that make sense? It's it's a sad thing, you know. Is that okay? What what were your minds on when when you were enveloped in the presence of God in some of the most intimate times with the Lord Jesus? Were you thinking about eating McDonald's? Were you thinking about checking your Instagram? Were you thinking about checking your TikTok? Were you doing all of that? Let's not normalize familiarity. Amen. <clears throat> and you know, okay, so um, going back to Romans, and see, if, if, if you're not spiritual, you allow stuff like this to offend you. You know, and I've said this before, and you have to understand this. When Jesus said certain things, he taught certain things. Um, there was instances where the Pharisees didn't even say anything, and yet he was he was preaching on their thoughts. How did he do that? It says Jesus knowing their thoughts. See, he didn't know their thoughts because he was God, but he was accessing things through the word of knowledge and the discerning of spirits. And so even though you're on Zoom and you're at your house, you know I can pick up and discern spirits. It's not just discerning demonic spirits. It's discerning 
uh, spirits that are offended with me. It's discerning spirits that are showing contempt for the presence of God. There's spirits that are showing familiarity, a spirit of apathy. You know, I like what my cousin said. So you can lie to me, but you can't lie to the Holy Ghost in me. You can put a smile, you can put all that stuff. But see, that's that's why, you know, I, I was talking with this this brother the other day because um, I was on Facebook and uh, someone said something uh, in response to his post about, you know, doesn't the Bible say love everybody? Or it says, I forgot exactly. Um, and well, anyways, I responded to the guy that commented on his thing. And uh, I, I put the verse where it says, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. And then that brother responded. He says, maybe you should clarify a little more so the person doesn't, you know, misunderstand. Now, I, I responded and I said, you're trying to educate people propositionally from the mind. I said, but I'm trying to educate the heart. So I'll say things that offend the mind to reveal what that person's heart is like. So does it get you upset that I sent you a verse that God hated Esau? Does that upset you? Ah, so I'm not going to bother trying to educate your mind if your heart's jacked up. So why am I going to waste my breath and my pearls if you don't even have the capacity in your heart to receive? So I'll offend your mind to show you what your heart is really like. Amen, amen. He didn't respond after that. And I said, I don't think Jesus was always interested in cleaning up his language either. He says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in me. He didn't clarify that he wasn't referring to cannibalism. He didn't clarify to say, hey, you know, y'all, what, what I really meant by that was I wasn't saying literally eat my. He didn't say all that. And then his disciples says, this is a hard saying. Who can receive it? And they went his way. You know why? Because he already knew the capacity of their hearts. And he wanted them to leave. Because he already knew those who put their hand on the plow were already looking back. And that's why he said to his apostles, Unto you has been shown the mysteries of the kingdom, but unto the rest I speak in parables, so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not hear. So that those who are truly hungry for truth, when you preach the word to them, even if it offends their mind, they're walking by the Spirit, and they say, I want to know what's behind that statement. Amen. And they're not put off that you called them a dog. It's not meat that I give the children's bread to the dog. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs deserve the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. So, so, so Jesus will test you and he will say things. So, and, and you know what? And here's the truth that a lot of us don't like. He will say things through the preaching of this word. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't speak to your heart, but you know, a lot of times people just want to privatize the word of the Lord and they just want to hear directly from God, but they don't want to hear God through a person. But here's the thing. Paul says we have these treasures in earthen vessels. We have these treasures in earthen vessels. It's kind of like that brother. 
I'm, you know, no telling what how he responds to God. That I mentioned when I said inquire of the Lord. See people that see people get offended at the word of God when it comes from a man. It comes through a man. They don't like to be told. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with correction? So is Jesus in the flesh correcting you? No. It's it's kind of like uh it's kind of like my boss when he tells me something do I do I argue do I say who, who gave you the right to no I don't say that and my boss has corrected me he says you know and guess what it don't feel pretty when you're when you're when you're uh there's cameras at work and he's like hey you know I need you to improve be a little more you know uh the, these students were doing this at this time. You know, be mindful of this and X, Y, and Z. Do you think it feels pretty to be under scrutiny? But what am I going to say? Am I going to dig my heels in the ground and say, well, you know, no. Amen. <clears throat> right? Is that, is that making sense? Amen. <clears throat> you know I remember something um um I was told before and it was that no mind, no one minds being called a servant of God we just don't want to be treated like one Right, you know, when when we're in worship and say, "Jesus, I'll do anything. I'll go where you," and all the tears are coming down. And then the first thing you're told, it ruins the whole mood. <laughs> what happened? I thought you were singing with your guitar. Oh, Jesus! Uh, playing the piano. Oh, Jesus! I love you. What happened? I thought you're a servant of God. Oh, I see. You 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 just want to do what you want to do, <laughs> or you'll change the worship song because it's convicting you. <laughs> <laughs> lead me. What does it say? Uh, lead me deeper than. Forget how the song goes, or can uh, uh, where I can be made stronger. It talks about going through the deep and all that stuff, and then the Lord says, "Go, go there or do that." And uh, you know, I think I'm gonna change this song. <laughs> yeah, ocean song. <clears throat> but going back to Romans. But see, but see, here, here's why, but see, everybody likes reading Bible. Well, not everybody. You know, it's funny. I remember one time this brother in the Lord years back, I guess God convicted him that he wasn't reading his Bible. And, uh, and, uh, cause he was just neglecting his, 
time with the Lord. He just wasn't giving any time to God. He was slacking on prayer, slacking on reading the word and so on and so forth. And and then he's like, okay, God, direct me to a passage where to read. And he says the first book he, he went to was First Chronicles. Now, if you never went to First Chronicles, <laughs> you won't know why it's funny. But the first 10 chapters are only genealogies. <laughs> so-and-so begot so-and-so. So-and-so begot so-and-so. <laughs> so he's like, wait, after the first sec two chapters, he's like, how long does this go? Ten chapters? <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> so, but... Typically, people have no problem reading the Bible, but they just don't want the Bible preached to them. That's the more that's the more difficult thing. But <coughs> it says here, um, going back to Romans chapter six, it says, "By no means we are uh, we are those who have died." What does it say? Which shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. What does the Bible Amen. say? You have died to sin. So, so, how do you still have indwelling sin if you died to sin? How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, it would interest you to know, you know, when it speaks of baptism, you know who the Jews were, who were the Jews baptized into? Anybody know that? <clears throat> The Jews were baptized into Moses. Correct. So, and the Bible tells us that. I won't go there for the sake of time. Um, but trust me when I say that the uh, it's there in the scriptures. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, or it might be in 2 Corinthians. Uh, it says that they were all baptized into Moses. Now, when were they, when were they baptized into Moses? It was when they were given the old covenant. Because what is a covenant? A covenant is when you marry. It's a contract, right? And Moses enacted that covenant through blood. Hebrews 9 says that Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new. Moses was the mediator of the old. So when they were baptized, see... They, they were brought into a covenant under the heading of Moses. Does that make sense? We're under Jesus Christ as our high priest. Moses was the first high priest. Does that make sense? He was the first in initiator of the old covenant, the apostle of the old covenant, the high priest of the old covenant, because he was a mediator between God and man. I don't know if you knew that. 
Why do you think that only Moses could go to the temple, uh, to the mountain, and the people couldn't? They said, these words are too terrifying to us. Have God talk to Moses, and Moses talk to the people. So Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new. So they were baptized into Moses. We were baptized into Christ. Does that make sense? So, <coughs> when... It says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So when is that new life? That new life was when we are baptized into the death of Christ. So if we die with Christ, we will be raised. So when were we raised? When we died with Christ. Let me ask you this question. Are we living a new life now? Or will we sometime in the distant future live a new life? We're living a new life now. Not will be, but we are. So if you died with Christ, so there's no there's no resurrection? You weren't raised as a new man? You were raised as a new man. Does that make sense? Because if you died, which is past tense, and you were died with him through baptism, by the way, not the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but that aside, because there's a distinction, bapti baptized into Christ and baptized in the Holy Ghost. And if we truly believe the Trinity like people say we do, then we'll allow for that distinction to speak. There's a, baptize, a baptism into Christ, Jesus, and there's a baptism in the Holy Ghost. So we read in Acts that there were people who were baptized, had received the baptism, the New Testament baptism, but they were not baptized in the Holy Ghost. They said, we have not so much of heard that there's a Holy Ghost. Right? That's why in Acts chapter 8, for the people who believed on the testimony of Philip, who, by the way, was an evangelist, because we always say everybody's called to evangelize, no, Philip was an evangelist. But anyways, Philip preached the word into Samaria, but they needed in Acts 8 the apostles to impart to them the Holy Ghost. This is why it also says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, a stir up the gift of God. What was the gift of God? It was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He says, stir up the gift of God, which was given to you through what? Through the laying on of my hands. So, so the, the people, you know, why, why you need a, a, a man of God over you? Because he imparts the Spirit to you. This is why in Galatians, Paul says, who ministered the Spirit unto you? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, oh, chapter 4, we have been made ministers of the new covenant. We, the apostles, have been made. We, the ministers, have been made the ministers of the new covenant. Just as Moses was the minister of the old, we have been made ministers of the new. Does that make sense? Who laid hands in the Old Testament? The priest did. The people brought their offerings. They laid hands. And so, the, this is why Paul commands Timothy, he says, lay hands suddenly on no man. What was he talking about? Don't ordain people suddenly. Because it's through the laying on of hands people are ordained. Right? What did the... See, the prophets... When the prophets in the book of Acts 
And the teachers, it doesn't say the disciples, it doesn't say the it's sheep, it says the apostles, uh, the prophets and the teachers. It says when they're assembled, they spoke to the the Holy Spirit spoke to the prophets and says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. And then they laid hands on them and they sent them out. Does that make sense? See, because there's a difference between sent ones and went ones. Some people aren't called, but they do this stuff anyways. Does it make sense? Come on, y'all are some, you sleeping or what? <laughs> Rise, O oh sleeper, and let Christ shine on you. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm trying to teach you something here. So when when they died when they died with Christ, what did they die to? They died to the old life under the law. And so in Romans three, when it says that, uh, when we read that. Uh, <clears throat> Romans 3.24 uh, 3, uh, And all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Turn with me to Galatians. And you have to bear with me because um, I know this may not be some exciting sermon, but again, as I've mentioned, I prefaced in the beginning, is um, I'm rooting you in doctrine. I, I didn't, you know, God hasn't commissioned me as a comical figure, um, as a comedian, as an entertainer, as a motivational speaker. Ha! <laughs> Slap your neighbor. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. That's all they do. They always pump you up and they don't tell you what to get ready for. Slap your neighbor and tell your neighbor. I don't know about you, but uh, we're not slapping our neighbor here because uh, there's some hands that you don't want on you. Amen. <laughs> you know, one of the most uncomfortable things is I've been in services where he says, you know, they say, hey, tell your, you know, put your hand on your neighbor, have them pray for you. Like, no. Excuse me from that. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want you to pray for me. I don't know who you are. See, people get offended with that. What What does it say in James chapter five? When When there's an assembly, it says, "Have the elders pray for you, and allow them to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, laying hands on you." Now, the reason why that's protective for you also is because those self-same elders should not be there unless they are first tested. So there should be a quality to their life of purity and character and integrity. This is why Paul says that if any man among you claims to be a prophet, but doesn't acknowledge what I write unto him, what the, the apostolic writings of Paul, he says that man is not recognized. So it's like it's like a a, a chief uh, uh, or a lieutenant in uh, uh, 
a police department who says if you don't acknowledge the the decrees that I've issued to this department I don't recognize your authority if you do though Amen. your authority is recognized does that make sense so the people who don't give heed to the scriptures as so-called elders and by the way you have to be tested that means examined right uh, if those elders have to be tried and examined this is why um, see even in the book of Acts you know you couldn't be a deacon without being full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom and of good repute and that they were just serving tables This is why I have no respect for pastors. They say, oh, we're going to have this person who's been attending uh, uh, church for two weeks take up the offering. What? How are you doing that? You don't know them. They're ridiculous. You know why? Because they, cre they keep creating these huge machines by their own doings. And so since God ain't supply, God don't, God don't supply where he hasn't led. And so since God ain't supplying, you know what they have to do? They have to make up for what God didn't provide by their own doings. And so they, since they concoct this huge gathering, now they're in debt. Now people are flakes and it will all come tumbling down. That's why Paul says, if you build upon this foundation, hay, straw, well, all this stuff, he says it will be burnt up. But if it abides... He says, that man shall receive a reward. But don't not be mistaken that every man's work will be tested by fire. <clears throat> but anyways, that since there's so much to do, so many activities that the Holy Ghost didn't tell them to do, but they're only doing because the next church down the street is doing it. They have to, they have to gather all these people and there's not enough people because God ain't sending the people. So they have to use impure people, shady people, and sometimes they use witches. But they don't even know it. Now all the people have come underneath that wickedness because men do not honor the Holy Ghost. They don't wait for the Holy Ghost. They'll do like that brother did on his stories. They'll just want to vlog with the random people and they didn't inquire of the Holy Ghost. And they get offended when you tell them not to do it. Inquire of God. Stop doing what you want to do. Amen. Yeah. That's what David did. That's what Jesus. Jesus didn't appoint his 12 before. You know, Jesus prayed all night. And before he prayed all night, it was afterward that he appointed the 12. But you know what we have pastors doing today? They're having their little cute statistic. Uh, uh, things and they're having little personality uh, uh, examinations from Dr. Jordan Peterson see who's fit to you know they have all of that and you know what some uh, dwarf churches are doing too is they're hiring uh, uh, other organizations that are secular to examine the people for them They're taking polls in the community to see what the people want? God forbid. Ministers are ministers unto God. Primarily. Not first unto the people. 
But that's why God told Moses, make sure that everything you build is according to the pattern that I have set for you. But we don't like that because it's old fashioned and they don't get numbers. But you know what? It don't only apply to ministers. It applies to you as well. Where in your life have, has the Holy Ghost told you that you need to do something, but you're not doing it? To build your marriage right, to build your home right, to build everything else right, but you don't want to do it because it, 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 it's going too slow. But you know, everything that is enduring and durable is built upon the slow work of righteousness. Does that make sense? What does it say in Proverbs? That money gained hastily quickly dwindles, but righteousness reaps a sure reward? Amen. So you keep working at it. You keep working at it. You keep, you know, doing what God told you to do. See, the wisdom of the Lord looks like foolishness. Trust me on this. The wisdom of God looks like foolishness. Uh, Noah, build an ark. Uh, it never rained before. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Pastor so-and-so. Pray three hours in tongues. But all my buddies are going golfing. They're strategizing. They're, they're becoming wonderful, influential figures in the community. No, pray in the Holy Ghost. It looks like foolishness. You think, you think you know, it's, it looks wise for me to sit in this chair and pray hours in tongues? But it blessed, it blessed me the other day. You know, God spoke to me and, and uh, told me about Malachi. He, need, he needed a word right when he needed a word. And God spoke to him and encouraged him. That blessed my heart. But you know how that came? Sitting in this chair by myself in the dark, praying in tongues. Or when God spoke to me about you, Sister Norma, that God is going to make provision for you to go to college. Where are you in it right now? Not saying that to boast, but I'm saying that to say I got that from tongues. Sitting here in my chair, praying in the spirit. I'm not reading, you know, on how. No, I'm, I'm searching for God. I'm searching for the mind of God, the counsel of God. Amen. That, that, that is my part. I want to know what is the mind of the Lord for my life and for the life of his people. Not the mind of the devil, not their mind, not the mind of the world, but the mind of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <clears throat> so, you know, it, it's like it's like Paul said. Uh, he says, "I'm." He says, "I might not be an apostle to them, but surely I'm an apostle to you." Now I bring that up because I may not be a prophet to everybody else. Because people don't receive me. But surely I'm a prophet to you. I, I'm just using biblical language here. And, and, 
And so I, I'm glad that it is received because my heart is to minister to you through the Holy Spirit, not through my flesh, not th none of that, through God. Amen. I want to see all, all of us built up. I want to see our lives become more and more glorious. Our lives become more prosperous. Our lives become more liberated, more blessed. Amen. How many of you know that God hasn't called us to be cursed? He's called us to be blessed. And ble guess what? Blessed doesn't mean poverty. God hasn't called you to poverty. I know there's, there's a bad reputation today. People call it the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. But see, people who rant against the prosperity gospel are the people who believe the poverty gospel. Amen. They preach poverty. They keep telling you you're going to suffer. They're going to keep telling you. They, they tell you all these things. But you know what? I don't, I don't see that actually in the scriptures. I see that the patriarchs were blessed of the Lord. Now, who was the gospel preached through? Read in Galatians. It says the gospel was preached through Abraham. Wow. So that means that the gospel dates as far back as Abraham. How did Abraham live? He lived blessed. They didn't say Jesus. He says, though he was rich, he became poor so that through his poverty we might be made rich. Yeah. Hallelujah. People say, what about the people over there? They ain't got nothing. Well, let me tell you the reason why you ain't got nothing yet is because, as I've said earlier, righteousness is a slow pro Righteousness reaps a sure reward in due time. This is why Paul says, do not grow weary in well-doing for you will reap a crop if you faint not amen yes sir isn't that what the word says and what now what did paul say he says uh, didn't he say that if you sow seeds he says in first corinthians 9 he says god is able to supply unto you or well, i think it's second corinthians chapter 9 um <clears throat> let me just read this real quick Second Corinthians chapter nine. Uh, yes. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So the Bible says that you will reap generously. Right? Now, and it's not talking about just spiritual. Because people want to reduce it. Now, now certainly we're going to reap spiritually. But we also reap materially. It says each of you should give, because the context is giving. He says, what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly. What is he talking about there? Material abundance. He's not talking about spiritual abundance. He's talking about material abundance. So that in all things at all times... Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, the work he's talking about there is the work of giving. Amen. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed 
and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So the end is the thanksgiving of God. And it, when God blesses his people in abundance, they're able to give and thereby through the giving, give glory to God. But he says that he is able to supply you with abundance. Does that make sense? You know, people always want to use the, you know, the poor people. What about the poor people over there? They want to use them as an object of their theology. That's what they want to do. You know why? Because there's there's certain curses on people. And why would you expect the people who don't serve the Lord and put him above mammon to be blessed of the Lord? Wasn't it that the widow at Zarephath who honored Elijah? Right? What happened? She had everything during famine and drought when everybody else didn't. People always talk about the economy. So you trust in the economy more than you trust in God. Couldn't the widow say, hey, you know, I can't give what I, I, the rest I had left because, he, <clears throat> I mean, uh, Elijah, you know the economy is kind of bad. She didn't say that. She put her trust in the Lord. Does it make sense? Amen. So, let, let me... Galatians. Uh, I'm going to try to wrap up here. Uh, Galatians... I believe it's chapter 4. So remember what we read in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 24. It says, well, verse 23 through 24, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, by Christ Jesus. What is that redemption that came? I'll show you what it says in Galatians to, to uh, demonstrate what the, uh, <coughs> the redemption is. Uh, Galatians chapter 4 verse 1. What am I saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. You have to understand that the term here slave is consistent with the same theme in Romans. When Paul talks about all are sold under the slavery of sin, what we read, remember in Romans 3, and he picks up also in Romans 6 and Romans 7, right? You remember? Be mindful of the theme. Now he says, now who's an heir? Right? An heir is one who is to inherit something. So there were heirs who were sold under slavery, and this is what Paul says. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So the guardians and the trustees, so to speak, was the law. And so though an heir to the whole estate, they're set under the tutelage of the law and are in bondage by the uh, in bondage to sin because of the law. This is why Paul says that the strength of sin is the law. He says this in 1 Corinthians. Does that make sense? 
It says, sin sees, it says also in Romans, sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every evil desire. Amen? Y'all following? Amen. Y'all learning something? So, what, what's, what caused the evil desire? What strengthened sin? What put you in bondage? It was the law. The, the sin used the law to put you into bondage. Do you see that? And you were thereby held in slavery to that old law. Does that make sense? says, verse 3, So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now, it's important to know that just because you see the world, the word world there doesn't mean the whole world. What it's referring to is the Jewish world. This is why also in Luke chapter 1, uh, or it might be, no, chapter 2, verse 1, it says in the year of Caesar Augustus, the whole world was taxed. Was it referring to the whole world? No, it was referring to the whole Roman world. Because Caesar Augustus was only in charge over the Roman world. So the world here is the Jewish world that is associated with the law. Does that make sense? No. <clears throat> and any adequate commentary will tell you the same. But when we set by, uh, but it says, but when the set time had fully come, and so this is why Colossians also says, is, you know, the, the, um, the, the elemental spiritual forces, he also uses that same language, touch not, taste not, handle not. He says, which are destined to perish with its use. They observe uh, new moons and Sabbaths. So this is all jo Jewish law. Okay. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Do you see that? So what is spoke, what is talking about in Romans chapter 3 verse 24 that through grace we've been redeemed, we were under the law. Now, here's the thing, even though the Gentiles were ignorant to the law, the law still condemned them. The law was given to the Jews, but the Gentiles it is still it still condemned the Gentiles. So that's why Paul says in Romans 3 that all were held under the slavery of sin. Does that make sense? Amen. So when Jesus came to shed his blood as high priest to make atonement for the sins of the people, he did that to redeem those who were under the law. Does that make sense? So why? To bring about the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. And this is why Paul says that though the law came after, after Abraham... It did not negate, nor nullify, nor abolish the promise that God made to Abraham before the law. Okay, so, y'all following? It says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave. So what? That means we're no longer in slavery to the law. We're no longer in the slavery of sin. So we need to stop with this language of indwelling sin. I'm a slave to sin. I can't do right. Right? 
And since you are a child, God has made you also an heir. So now let's go to Romans, and I'm going to try to wrap up here. Go back to Romans 6. <clears throat> so remember, those who were baptized into Moses, what were, they, what were they under? The old administration of the old covenant, the administration of the old law. And what, wh where does sin find its strength? The law. So, where, where am I getting that from? Um, hold on one second. Watch, look at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse uh, 9. No, verse 8. Romans chapter uh, 7, verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. So sin is finding an opportunity. And who's, how is sin given an opportunity? Because of the commandment. What commandment? That came from the old law. So sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Do you see that? So sin and the law are working in conjunction here. Sin is finding its strength because of the law. And what is it producing in the person? Sinful desires. Do you see that? Produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. What does it say? Read it again. For apart from the law, sin was dead. What was sin? Was dead. Okay. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful." Now notice this, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave of sin, sold as a slave to sin. Right, so Paul, people always love to go to Romans 7 and say, see, look at what Paul is saying here. He says that we are carnal, sold under sin. But what did we just read in Romans chapter, uh, Galatians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 3 verse 24? That Christ came to redeem those who were slavery to sin. The law. And the law strengthens sin. So if G Jesus redeemed us from that, that means that we're no longer enslaved to that. Does that make sense? Amen. This Amen. is why he says in Galatians 4, and he also picks up later in Romans chapter 8, just a chapter later, which he picks up about the life of the Spirit, <laughs> In Galatians 4, he says, God sent forth his spirit of his son. Since you are sons, 
God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore do not fall back into fear, into the slavery of bondage. He says the same thing in Romans chapter 8. Since, forth you are, since you are sons, God put forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore don't fall back into the fear of slavery. What fear? The slavery of the law, because you're no longer under the law. Right? Does that make sense? And Paul says that we've died to the law. <clears throat> Look it. Let's keep going. And like I said, people love going to this part. Uh, as it is, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature or in my flesh. Now you have to be my. This this is where it takes a little of of your thinking caps. When Paul is speaking about his flesh, he's not speaking about this body per se. He's speaking about the corporeal body of the old Jewish people. Okay? In G when we're baptized into Moses, what we were what were we baptized into? We were baptized into a body. The old Jews were baptized into Moses. And as being baptized in Moses, what were they baptized into? A body. When we are baptized into Jesus Christ, what are we baptized into? A body. This is why the Bible says the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Now you collectively are the body of Christ. Come on, somebody. So you might be the hand. You might be the foot. Is a hand or a foot enough to make up the whole body? But you're in the you're the body of Christ, correct? Well, when but what made us able to be referred to as the body of Christ? It was our being baptized into Jesus that made us the body of Christ. When the Jews were baptized into Moses, they were baptized into that body. So when Paul is speaking in Romans 7, he says that I know that no good dwells within me. He's speaking in first person, referring to the whole Jewish body. And that sin has its strength because of that law. That law is a covenant. And it was through that covenant they were baptized into Moses. So when, Jesus, when Paul is saying that it was through Christ that you died so that you may be married to another, guess what? You were brought into a new body. You were given a new life. You were given the resurrection. Is, is that logic following? Because this old body hasn't changed. So what put to death the sin then? The sin was strengthened by your being under that old covenant, by your being under that old law that was in effect in Moses. 
Um, but look at right here. So now, now if I do uh, verse 21, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Okay, now, so who rescued us? Jesus Christ. Now, right? So this is why in Romans chapter 8, he says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in Moses, under that law, there was condemnation. And what a wretched man who would deliver me from that body. Who would deliver me from that body? Right? And so when we were baptized into Jesus, we were baptized into his death so that we might be married to another. We were children that were held under slavery, but Jesus Christ came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might live unto God. This is why Paul says the life I now live, I live in the flesh, but I live nevertheless by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave his life for me. He's talking about the redemption there, the redemption from that old covenant, the redemption from that old bondage. Does that make sense? So this is why it says in Romans chapter 8 verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So now we're under a new law. It's the law of the spirit of life, not the law of sin and death. Um, and it says this, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what is he saying there? That God condemns sin in the flesh of Christ, so that when you died with him, you died to that old law. Does that make sense? So Jesus died, and this is why it says, death no longer has mastery over him, because he has now been raised to life. Does that make sense? So, when Jesus died, he was condemned. And since you are in Christ, you were condemned with him. Does that, does that make sense? So, if you were baptized into his death, you were raised again to a new life. And guess what? So that means you have been delivered from the law of sin and death. You've been delivered from... So you, you have to understand when the Bible is using flesh, it's not talking about the body per se. It's talking about the law. These two terms are used interchangeably. So that when it refers to the flesh, it's actually referring to the law. When it's referring to the law, it's referring to the flesh. 
So that our dying to the law, we've died to the flesh. Our dying to the flesh, we've died to the law. My guess is this is confusing us. I'm going to stop here.